0: Hello, this is Patrick Widdes. Before we start with today's show, I'd just like to remind you that while poetry Nonstop is free to listen to, it costs money to make. I've just had to upgrade my SoundCloud account to host all the episodes, and as the podcast grows, so will the cost. I enjoy doing this, and if you enjoy listening to the show, it would be great if you could help cover those costs. If you go to patreon.com poetrynonstop, poetry you can make a monthly or one-off contribution and anything, even just £5, would be much appreciated. It's a new podcast, I don't have the millions of listeners that some shows do yet, so not only will the money help, but knowing that there are people who like this show enough to contribute will be a real boost to keeping it going and making it bigger and better. Thank you and here's today's show. Bus station toilets.
1: Meet me at hideout, hidey hole, hidden, our own little kingdom. Meet me with a marker pen, half a pack of players, roll on cherry lip gloss in a flowery glass bottle. Meet me in the cubicle with his initials inside an arrowed heart. We'll ask the walls about Mary and why she is a whore. Meet me at our secret place behind the bus station, opposite the courthouse door for boys on probation. Meet me at damp cement, Isol, Jay's Fluid. Meet me by the cracked sink and the broken soap dispenser. Meet me at Tears Fall, rain shelter, conference room. Meet me there as soon as you can and tell no one
0: where you're going. Hello and welcome to Poetry Nonstop. This is Patrick Widdes and you just heard Julia Webb reading a poem from her second collection Threats, recently published by Nine Arches Press. It has been described by fellow Norwich-based poet Helen Ivory as an unsettling telling of how it feels to be a girl living in a small town whose surfaces are seethed with graffiti and home life bristles with disquiet. And here's Julia to tell us about it herself.
1: I'm very excited about this collection. I think it's it's quite different to my first collection, and it has four sections. Um, it focuses on the physical body, uh, coming of age in a small rural town as a girl, dysfunctional family, and then it it and love and loss.
0: Sounds like a, a poetry memoir. <laughs> yes.
1: yes, it does it. But it isn't it isn't that it's it's not all I read an interview with Jo Shapcott recently where she was talking about poetry that's apparently very personal, which I think mine is. It, there is some autobiographical stuff in there, but not everything is autobiographical.
0: The poem you just read it sounds like there's some vivid memories in there. Where did that come from?
1: Well, for some reason, as a teenager, we spent a lot of time in my friend Christine in public toilets. I don't quite know why, except for the fact that maybe it was because it was out of the sight of adults and you could do what you like and you could do graffiti on the walls. And also it was a place to talk about secret stuff, mostly to do with boys, I I expect, as we were quite young teenagers at the time.
0: Yeah, so interesting, you'll get these... uh... To private worlds
1: yeah absolutely and I think the school toilets were like that they were like a certain bunch of people that used to smoke in the toilets mm. I think most teenagers have probably spent a bit of time hanging around in those kind of secret places
0: when you wrote this collection did you have a, a clear idea at the beginning that you were going to write a collection on these themes or was it more you were writing poems and that the collection emerged from those
1: um, when I started, I thought it was going to be more about my family history. And I went to London to do some research and go to places where I'd been to as a young child. But um, different themes emerged, as happens, I guess, when you're writing. I went, spent a day in Kew Gardens with my um, aunt. And from that, I went home and wrote a load of poems that were to do with physicality which wasn't what I was planning to do at all.
0: (laughs) It's your second collection. How was it like uh, doing the the second collection compared to the first one?
1: I found it quite scary. I I think there's a a pressure on the second collection. There is a pressure on the first collection, because obviously you want people to like it, but with the second collection, there's a feeling that it has to somehow be better than the first collection. And also that if it's different to the first collection, that maybe the people that liked the first one won't like the second one as much. So I felt more pressure with this one, I think, surprisingly. I think with the first one as well, I'd had just a long time and it had taken a a long time to get to Mm. the publication stage. So maybe, I don't know, it it was different, but more scary, I think, in some ways.
0: And how did you get over that?
1: I think you just have to push through it. Um, I had a mentor and Pascal Petit for a, a short while she looked at the collection and she pushed me to be more brave about the order of the poems and stuff like that, which was good. I needed that really. I was being a bit timid and scared and I put a, a, a very sort of slight, easy poem first, which, which was the title poem of the book, which now actually isn't in the book at all. <laughs>
0: Yeah, it's, it's uh, interesting, actually. I mean, there's obviously a lot of, sort of work goes into writing the individual poems, but how, how do you go about actually putting them together in a collection?
1: That took a long time, sort of thrashing around with the Order, and I, I was lucky that I have a good friend who's a poet, and she helped me a bit with the Order, but then I paid for I, I paid for some extra mentoring from Pascal, and she changed the order again after that to make it less less safe, more brave, I guess. But um, I'm I'm really happy with it now. And interestingly, when I was um, looking at it with my editor, we she took a couple of poems out, and we tried to sort of re, rejig the collection to. F- to sort of stop that gap up and every time we took one from somewhere else it it felt like there was something missing so I was really happy that the order was right and that everything should be there.
0: So I said that you got a lot of help from Pascal Petit who else was influential in writing a collection?
1: I suppose when you're writing a collection influences are, are what you read as well and um I'm a big fan of Andrew Macmillan. Do you know his work? And I read quite widely, and I read a lot of American poetry, so I think that influences my writing quite heavily. And I'm also interested in people who write about family and personal stuff, but in more surreal ways, like Manisa Alvey. Um, Her book Blackbird Bye-Bye, I think is really good. But also she's got one called Carrying My Wife, which I really love. And Pascal Petit, um, Helen Ivory, there's there's a lot, a long list really, but um, also I, the people I workshop poems with as well.
0: And um, has your uh, techniques or writing style changed?
1: I think it's definitely changed since my first collection. You can still see sort of slight hints at the first collection in there, and there is one poem that I. Th- which about owls which I think definitely speaks to my first collection but I think this collection it's um there's a couple of poems in form and it's I think it's braver and there's more rhythm and rhyming perhaps than in the first collection I think I'm just braver with my subject matter and braver with what I do I think it's more playful actually it's probably more confident and more playful than the first one I think the first one was a bit self-conscious maybe
0: how were you able to uh, reach that sort of braver style of writing
1: i think it just comes with practice probably and feeling more confident in myself as a writer because I, maybe because i've had a lot of stuff published and also just allowing myself to be playful as well mm.
0: so uh, were there any experiences that uh, were difficult to write about
1: I think the hardest sequence in the book to write, there's uh, three poems that are about my brother. And my brother died, I can't think how old he was, probably early 31, 32. He had um, some mental health problems right from when he was a teenager. And he took an overdose as a teenager and basically it damaged his liver and he he died quite young. Mm. So there's some poems in there about him which are really about loss and I they were the hardest to write and they're the hardest to read although I do read them and I've had quite a good response from people about them as well.
0: Um, Shall we hear another poem?
1: She was a biscuit barrel or barrel shaped at least as he kept reminding her. The bucket he kicked splashed lemony water up the wall, her face a crumpled tissue on the floor. The dog was whining outside the locked back door, the TV was querulous and mundane, the shopping was waiting to be packed away, the kettle was whistling on the stove, a child was shuffling on their bottom down the stairs. She was a biscuit barrel, though whether empty or full was unclear, he was a barrel full of vinegary homemade beer, his contents leaking out across the floor. A child had shuffled down the stairs and let the dog in. In the other room, the TV blared. The shopping was defrosting in the pushchair's tray. The kettle was still whistling on the stove. She was a biscuit barrel, mopping the kitchen floor. He was cursing the kettle and the dog, shouting through to, turn the TV off or else. His mood was vinegary and cold. The shopping was scattered across the floor. The dog was whining in the hall. A child was crying in the downstairs loo. The house was quarrelsome and sly.
0: I love all the chaos in that poem. (laughs) Um, uh, Is it about anyone in particular?
1: It's, It's loosely based on family life when I was a child. It did feel a bit chaotic in my house sometimes and yeah I'm just I'm very interested in family dynamics and the way Mm. people react to each other and the things they say and the things they don't say and the things that go on in domestic settings so I think it was kind of looking at that but also in a kind of playful playful way really
0: Mm. so uh, what was life like growing up
1: Um, I grew up in a small rural town Thetford it's a very strange town, because it's a London overspill town. It's changed again since I lived there because um, because it has a lot of industry, it has a lot of people in- incomers, as they used to call them. So when I was a child, there was a lot of London overspill, and since then they've had an influx of Greek people and uh, more recently an influx of Polish people. so it's quite a a strange and mixed community but it doesn't always gel together brilliantly well. So, yeah. And it's also completely surrounded by pine forest. And I think that is sort of... That darkness of the pine forest sort of underpins a lot of my writing. It had quite a big influence on me growing up.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. I think uh, whatever your upbringing, it can seem quite normal because it's just what you've lived with. Um, how did you start to realise uh, the unique characteristics of what you live through and start uh, writing about those creatively?
1: I think it's only as you get older that you really realise that how different everybody's experience is. And I think for me, one of the first times I realised was when I um, had counselling after my after my son was born but I think also through writing as well and and, and teaching I hear lots of different stories of, of people's families and they're all strange and unique in good and bad ways I guess
0: So um, now the uh, collection is out uh, how do you feel about it?
1: Um, I'm feeling quite excited about it now I'm having a launch in London this week which is very exciting I didn't have that for my first book And I've done some readings which have been, and I've had some really positive feedback, which is nice. And um, I'm involved with two other poets from my press, Jackie Safra and Jessica Mukherjee. And we're going to be doing some shows together later in the year, which is very exciting
0: called Muses and Furies. Excellent, well, uh, good luck with those. Uh, What kind of uh, routines and techniques do you have for your writing?
1: I'm a very haphazard writer in that I write when the mood takes me. I don't necessarily sit down at a particular time every day to write. Um, I I write a lot on trains. If I travel, there's something about getting on a train that gives me permission to write and I have my book out almost before I've sat in my seat. So that's, that's really good. And I also teach a regular creative writing class on a Friday and making making prompts for them and reading widely for the handout i think that really helps my own writing it's really valuable actually and also Mm. hearing their work as well and i sometimes i often when they do the prompts i do them too so that's really useful to me
0: (laughs) yes well uh, i think you've got a, a writing prompt for us to try
1: i have so it's a memory mining exercise And um, it's based on a book by Joe Bernard called I Remember. And the book, each line in the book starts with I Remember. And it's all about different, it's haphazard, different memories from all different times in his life. And the book's actually 167 pages long, which Mm -hmm. is, it took me quite a long time to get through it. Because that's quite, would you like me to read a bit of the? Yeah. Um, There's a short extract. I remember the only time I ever saw my mother cry I was eating apricot pie. I remember how I used to stutter. I remember the first time I saw television. Lucille Ball was taking ballet lessons. I remember Aunt Cleora who lived in Hollywood. Every year for Christmas she sent my brother and me a joint present of one book. I remember a very poor boy who had to wear his sister's blouses to school and it just goes on like that but I think it I've used this a lot in my um, various classes because it's just a good way to get memories flowing and sometimes when you do it, things come out that you might not have necessarily thought of. It's like that chain of one thought leads to another thought, leads to another thought, so you just keep doing it and keep going and it doesn't matter if you don't keep what you've written afterwards but you might use bits of it as a trigger for something else.
0: Yes, it feels like there's a a whole poem and... A story lying behind each of those sentences Absolutely.
1: yeah 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 I can imagine he probably could have got hundreds of poems out of it <laughs> yes
0: um so what's the exercise so
1: the the first bit of the exercise is to just do some free writing and start each line with I remember and just keep going thoughts that come up from can be from any time in your life and they don't have to be related to one another So that's the first part of the exercise. And in the second part of the exercise is to take one of the memories from your bit of free writing and to expand on it. Don't be precious about the actual details. It's okay to change things if it makes the poem better. Sometimes you might have to have two or three goes at writing about the same subject. a, A good example of this was in my creative writing class on Friday. A student had bought a two poems that she'd written for her homework and they were about, they were both about the same incident and the first one had all the facts of the incident and then the second poem she'd allowed herself to go somewhere else with it and that was a really really good and memorable poem so it's, you might have to have two or three goes. I think that's a good thing to do with writing anyway. I wrote a poem about the moon actually which is in my collection and it was the seventh poem. About the moon I wrote <laughs> <laughs> i I did it in National Poetry Writing Month,
0: yeah, I think uh list writing is always a, a good thing to do, like it uh, uh, so just gets the ideas flowing and there 's no pressure there and um, and uh, it gives you um a lot of material that uh, you can work from, even if you will sort of only use one little thing from that list. Yeah. So yeah, I think it's an interesting exercise. It's quite simple and there's lots of ways you can go with it. Um, I had a go and um, kind of like you mentioned, I uh, first of all wrote uh, very accurately about the memory and then I sort of used my imagination and kind of went uh, beyond the uh, truth and reality of the event to uh, write this, which I'll read. So this is called Evening Entertainment. After dinner, we arranged the guests on the settee and dimmed the lights for the evening entertainment. My father laid me out on the coffee table. Placed newspaper on the floor, and took a saw to my swollen abdomen. Reaching inside, he produced a coat tagger, dinner plate, hammer, and nails. It was worth the effort of swallowing and the stomach cramps during tea to see the looks on their faces, and for the glass of milk and two chocolate digestives at bedtime. After mother had sewed me up with the itchy black threads.
1: Wow, that's very, very good and evocative. I like it a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a. I think that's a perfect example of when you let when you let go of the the, the facts and just sort of let it take its own direction.
0: Absolutely. Well, uh, thanks for the inspiration, and uh, hopefully it will uh, inspire you. To write something, yeah, uh, it's, it's interesting. I see a few other people have uh, uh, set prompts to do with memories uh, sue burge uh had one called writing the cinematic style uh martin figura uh, was talking about metaphor, so you might want to uh think about uh, some of those techniques as well yeah. but uh yeah in any case uh, see what comes out and uh please share the results it would be great to uh read them and uh maybe share them on a later podcast Um, Right. Well, uh, thanks for sharing your poems. Do you have another poem to finish with? Maybe I will finish with my poem about the
1: moon. Moon Party. You are too full to sleep. You are full of the moon. It is bursting out from inside you. It is shining its moon face from your stomach. The moon thinks of itself as an emergency. It wants you to call 999 or 112 or 911. The moon never knows which country it is in. You're in a motel and the neon lights shine through the curtains. You want to birth the moon but the moon is not going anywhere. It says it is fed up with hanging around in the sky. The stars get on its nerves with their incessant sparkles. The moon wants real fireworks. The moon wants a bonfire with tinfoil baked potatoes. The moon wants toffee apples and Halloween pumpkins. You go to the store with the moon and your credit card. The cashier asks when it's due and you say you don't know. She looks at the toffee apples and raises her eyebrows. She adds a free toothpaste sample to your order. They don't sell fireworks but they have birthday candles. You buy a moon-shaped cake and a box of matches. The moon and you have yourselves a motel party. You drink the entire contents of the minibar
0: and pass out on the bathroom floor. That was Julia Webb reading from her second collection, Threat, available now from Nine Arches Press. You can find out more about that on the website poetrynonstop.com along with details of Julia's writing exercise. As always, I'd love to hear your responses and share them with the Poetry Non-Stop audience. Don't forget Leanne Moden's exercise as well. Send your poems about what kind of person your hometown is this week to poetrynonstop at gmail.com and I'll share some of them next week. I know Leanne would love to read them as well. As always, thank you for listening and keep writing.